in the he World Cup. For us. He yeah! Hello and welcome to the Fox Football Podcast. I'm Adam Peacock. Now, it's a break from usual proceedings this week. Dottie and Robbie, and perhaps Robbie's Twitter mentions, will be back next week. But this week, A-League clubs are back in action, in the Champions League, in Doha, in a pandemic. It's all a bit weird, but anyway, it's football, and we're bringing you all the Aussie teams' games on Fox Sports and KO. So we're going to check in with the two teams that have already arrived over there, Sydney and Perth. Now, Melbourne Victory fly this week, so we'll catch up with those boys once they land in Doha. But also, as part of this podcast, at the end, there's something a bit special. Not long ago, I caught up with Arsene Wenger, who was a special guest for the Australian Coaching Conference, brought to you by Football New South Wales later in the month. We'll have full details later about how you get involved in that. They've got some magnificent guests lined up, including the great Arsene Wenger. The best revelation of a character is the game. In the game, I can tell you, I watch a player play, I can give you his character. Because in your game, you get all a rid of all the social pro- uh, protections that you have built, mm-hmm. and you become who you really are. You know? And uh, sometimes people say, uh, he's a very nice guy, but on the football pitch, he, he's a bastard. I always say to a guy, if you do something important with this guy, he will become who he is really. You know? <laughs> that means... Uh, Don't go uh, into business with him. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Don't go into business with him because he will be exactly who he is in the game. Now, I'll play a little more of that later in the podcast, but let's get to Doha first. Perth and Sydney are already there preparing for their first games this week in the Champions League group stage as it restarts. Now, we're going to start with Sydney, and Costa Barbarousas joins me. Thanks for your time, mate. Firstly, how was the epic journey over there? Not just the flight, but the hoops you had to jump through, the equipment you needed to put on for the flight. Was it a um, rather unique experience getting there? Yeah, uh, obviously, face masks are pretty standard these days, but then we had the screen, uh, the mask uh, for the the face, uh, whatever it's called. Um, Welding mask. Yeah. Pretty much, uh, which we were told on the fly, we had to sleep with it on uh, if we wanted to sleep, which is yeah, pretty crazy. Um, and then there was yeah, the pretty aggressive testing on arrival uh, in Qatar. Uh, a few boys were getting their, their heads sort of held in place so they didn't, you know, whimper out and, and pull back a bit. So um, yeah, it was uh, once it was all done, it was a, it was a good laugh, but uh, yeah, it was a long journey. Did anyone sleep in the welder's mask? Uh, yeah, I think there's photos of that, actually. Yeah, Dave, Dave's got a few photos of a few boys falling asleep with it on. I, I took mine off, to be honest, and uh, had a bit of a snooze, but yeah. Extraordinary. Dave Warren, your media manager, I look forward to seeing those photos, and they'll be used as ransom uh, in some regards for, <clears throat> for certain players. Um, mate, tell us about what it's like over there. So you've gone from Sydney uh, preparing for an A-League season over there to play in this Champions League group stage. I've heard you've been looked after in regards to the facilities you've got over there. Just paint a picture for us. Yeah, so um, we came back to train uh, to pre-season early knowing that you know it was a possibility that the comp was going to go ahead. So we were sort of preparing for this rather than the start of the A-League season to begin with. So 
uh, I think as everyone knows, it was sort of touch and go for a while whether we we're going to complete the competition or not. But um, we got sort of information that it was going to go ahead uh, sort of recently. But yeah, like I said, we'd already planned to come and finish it. Um, and yeah, like we just spoke about the procedures getting over here. Uh, I think, yeah, safety-wise, a lot of things were put in place, you know, really well. And, and on arrival here, uh, everything seems like it's, um, you know, the procedures and everything they've got in place is, is pretty well organised. Um, you know, we're getting, we can't just go to the buffet and take our food, for example. It's getting served to us uh, based on, you know, what we want uh, out of the buffet. And uh, there's minimal sort of contact with people. I think the, the staff at the hotel here are all uh, staying in the hotel while we're here. Uh, so there's no outside contact. So, uh, yeah, Alex uh, Bomihan also spoke to a couple of guys that completed the, the other side of the group um, earlier, and they, they all said that it was pretty, yeah, really well organised. So uh, we haven't seen otherwise so far. It's been uh, pretty well handled. And it's beautiful over there, like training. I've, I've seen some pictures on Perth Glory's players' uh, Instagrams of just these pictures which – look brand new the facilities look brand new the hotel looks brand new everything looks pretty comfortable yeah uh we trained for the first time last night and yeah it was a university ground and it was yeah like a carpet to be honest so no complaints there uh yeah the hotel's really good uh really comfortable i think more importantly is who you're spending the time in the hotel with and i'm pretty happy with my roomie so um yeah it's it's all good Who'd you get? Who'd you get as your roomie? I've got Alex. I've got Alex Bomiahan. He's a good mate and uh, yeah, good company. Hey, take us through the last few months, mate. We've seen—I wouldn't call it an exodus, but we've seen some players leave the league. I actually personally think that there was going to be a lot more that just got out of here and you know used the the India uh, experiment as one example or, or gone over to Europe. We, what a, I mean, every player is different, so I can only ask you about your personal experience. Was there any thought of just going off again, or are you too comfortable here in Australia? Yeah, I think, you know, amidst all of this, I think you just need to sort of evaluate what's what's important to you as a player and as a person and uh, your, your personal circumstance as well. You know, I think the guys that have moved on, uh, obviously would have thought that the situation would be better elsewhere or it's something that they needed to do. Uh, you know, young guys have moved on. Some more experienced guys have moved on, uh, both for different reasons, uh, I'm guessing. Um, for me, uh, I didn't really give it too much thought. Uh, like I've sort of said previously, in, in years prior, I've had uh, quite a lot of opportunities to, to move on from the A-League um, but I haven't felt the need to. It's not something um, that, you know, I, I felt was, was necessary. Uh, you know, I've spent a few years overseas and, uh, yeah, I think people, I think from the outside need to understand, I think, how good the competition is here and and what we have here, you know. Uh, it's. Uh, I think it gets compared a lot to, to other places in the world, but... Um, I think, yeah, when when you're looking at things in your own backyard, I guess it's easy to, to think less of it. But, um, yeah, I've, I've always felt 
uh, it's it's been competitive and it's getting better and better and uh, it's not yeah it's not a something that I'm urgent to do to to leave. I'm pretty happy here. Fair enough. Good to hear. How with uh, the last few months as well that there was talk that you guys the Kiwis the New Zealand national team were meant to go over. Were you going to go over there overseas to to play a few games? But then it got binned in the end. Is that right? Yeah, so it was uh, it was for the oct- September and October windows, I think. And September was against Belgium and Mexico. Uh, and I spoke to Danny Hay about the possibility of going over there, um, which I said, yeah, I, I might have been willing to do, but I also knew, um, sorry, it would have been October, November. The, the England game in November would have coincided with this tournament. So would have been a decision I would have had to have made. Um, but yeah, the, the Belgium one, I said I was willing to go, but I also said if we had a month's holiday and then I would trained as a group for two weeks and then had to play against the, the world's ranked first best team, uh, I don't think I would have gone to or been much help. So uh, I probably would have missed that one after a month of holiday. But yeah, um, would have been a great experience. I think Danny wanted to get as many yeah, first regulars as he could, but I think it would have been a good opportunity for young guys too. But obviously, as the Socceroos uh, saw as well, they, the games just didn't go ahead because logistically it just didn't make sense, I guess. I seriously don't know how teams from our part of the world are going to play international football anytime soon. Is it something where we need to look at perhaps a, a few games, Australia v New Zealand? Yeah, I'd love that. I think... Uh, yeah, I don't think there's much um, negatives to that. I think even a series of some sort over a couple months or a few months. Um, both, I think we're both pretty competitive teams now. I think we've got a good squad. Uh, yeah, of some experienced boys and a lot of good young boys coming through. And uh, Arnie's, you know, got a good squad, and and uh, obviously we know, you know, how well he can put a team together too. And to be honest, I'm excited with how uh, Danny's ideas for our team and, and what he wants to do with us too. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great idea. What about back to Sydney FC, mate? Uh, obviously, the standard, you don't really need to sit around and talk about your goals for the season at a place like Sydney because you know what the standard is expected of you. <laughs> am I am I correct? Or do you actually sit there and, and pick out little benchmarks that you want to hit? Uh, yeah, look, the the goals for the... A-League are the same every year. Obviously, it's to win both the Premiership and the Championship and obviously the FFA Cup. I think that's just a given, you know, expected to even win every game. You know, it's it's a big deal if you lose a game during the season. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, having done what we did last year, winning the double, uh, a lot of our focus now is on, on this hub and, and seeing how we can do in this tournament and... I think everyone wants to make a big impact. Uh, it's yeah, a strange situation and obviously it's just become the norm, but we want to just take advantage of it and try to progress out of the group, first of all, and um, see what happens from there. You know, it's, uh, it's a big opportunity, I think, for the club. We've uh, retained most of the, the squad from last year. So, uh, you know, Bimbi was pretty... Um, 
yeah, pretty upfront about wanting to do well once we got to continue the season uh, in the Champions League. What's the talk? I mean, it's easy for us to sit there and go, well, if they progress out of the group, there's half a chance that they'll miss Christmas with their families. So how has Steve Corica and the club and you players got together and talked through that situation? Because out of a brilliant happenance that could come about getting out of the group, something personal is pretty big there it's a big sacrifice so how have you approached that as a as a club yeah i mean it's one of those sort of unspoken things to be honest that's going on i think you know we'll be sort of pretty gutted to miss christmas but um you know like i said there's a there's big rewards here too and the way we look at it i think is you know we're here now and we want to do as well as we can um you know, it's not, uh, there's no way of anyone being complacent while being here and, and thinking about that during a game. You know, you're never going to step out in the game and not give 100%. So um, we're not really thinking about it at the moment. Uh, like I said, we're, we're here now and it, it's all, uh, all going ahead. So we just need to be positive and, and make the most of it. What's the one thing you've learned about Sydney that you didn't realise when you were playing for other clubs? Um. Yeah, interesting question. Um, like people that you thought were dickheads or whatever are actually good blokes, or was it something else? Well, why are you saying that about Michael Zula? He's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been on the, the other end of you know a big blue, for example, for five years and. Uh, you, you just know guys from the pitch and that's pretty much it. And you might uh, share, you know, be in the same team as one or two other guys in that time too. But, I, you know, the guys at Sydney, a lot of them have stayed here for a while. So, that you know, I haven't played with many other guys that, that are here before. Um, and, yeah, I, yeah, I guess what you could say is that they're a really sort of humble bunch and a real down-to-earth bunch, to be honest, considering how uh, successful they've been in the last few years and how dominant uh, they have been in a couple of those seasons too. None of the guys have big heads and I think that's a, a big thing that um, Bimby looks at, even at recruiting as well, um, your personality. So, uh, yeah, I mean, to have guys that are such good players and to not really have any ego at all, to be honest, is, is really refreshing too. Oh, well, mate, wish you... All the best uh, with those teammates trying to get uh, one up on some of the best footballers in East Asia or all of Asia and some around the world as well. And um, stay comfortable over there. Stay chilled out. I'm sure you won't die of stress anytime soon over there. And uh, good luck. Yeah, cheers, Adam. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, joining us from another floor of the same hotel where Sydney FC are, a Perth Glory and that's where we find Brandon Wilson over there in Doha. How are you, mate? Yeah, good ads yourself. I'm all right. I'm all right. It's a uh, it's a fair way to go for what is essentially we could call it Champions League, but also serves as a preseason for you. How are you finding it over there? Is it comfortable? Are you you satisfied with your surroundings and preparations for uh, these these big games? Yeah, look, as you said, long way away. It was a, a nice little fifteen hour flight. Um, you know, got here, got the uh, nice little haz- hazmat suit on, as you'd say. Had the uh, the big glass screen on the whole flight, so it was uh, 
bit of an uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable fight, but once I got here, it was welcoming, and uh, I was welcomed to you know, daggers in bed in his boxes. <laughs> Pleasant sight, I guess. Um, but no, nah, since uh, since we got here, we've um, we've had a corona test cleared. We've had a little training session. You know, we've been in the uh, Esden Palace Hotel, which is you know beautiful hotel, great staff, and um, yeah, so far so good, mate. So far so good. You, you were hoping over there that when you got over there, it, like it's a big enough say or big big enough ask for you guys to go over there, but for, for everything to be okay when you got there. So you've got no problems with the way the AFC is organised, how you've been looked after by everyone concerned, the locals? Yeah, top. It's Everything since we've got here is top. You can see everyone's been in the bubble. Uh, the staff have been in the bubble for the last two weeks. So they're all cleared with coronavirus. You know, everything's... You know, security uh, security wise, we we're we're in the best environment possible to obviously not get the the virus and to play the games in the most safe environment. So so far, you know, hat off to the AFC. They've done a really good job. A couple of months ago, you wouldn't have been thinking about Champions League football, obviously, because you're at a club which can't get you into Champions League with Wellington Phoenix. How did it all turn around to you in going back to Perth and being involved in in this setup? So yeah, I mean Wellington. I mean we finished third last year, but obviously they're not they're not eligible for the AFC. And then you know the opportunity got given to me to come back and play for Perth Glory. And you know the AFC is always something I've always wanted to play in. It's a huge tournament. Um, you know, great teams playing, great players. You know, playing at the top level. So when I got that opportunity, um, I thought I might as well take it with both hands. And you know, as I said top players you get to you know see what you're you like against these players and you know it's it's a great thing but unfortunately Wellington yeah they can't they can't play in this tournament because they're uh, they're not eligible so that's un- that's un- really unfortunate for them what are you looking forward to these games your, your first one Shanghai Shenhua like some of the players that you're going to play against some of the coaches I think El Shirawi plays for them um so that's he's a big name um you know we will meet up with uh Davo again Jason Davison he's a Ulsan Hyundai you know, Tokyo team. I mean, yeah, huge, huge teams. Um, but as we said, we've got to, you know, stay calm and confident and, you know, get on the pitch and we've got to beat these teams. So. Good. It's a big, big ask. It's a very big ask. But, hey, what do you know? Um, exactly. Could we just go back a bit, though? Notice that you are born in Botswana. Now, is this not a misprint? This is absolutely born in Botswana. How on earth... You born in Botswana and you end up in England and then you end up over here and then you go to New Zealand and then you're back in Perth. Tell us about your backstory there. Yeah, that's a crazy one. No one believes me at the start, but um, yeah, Botswana. My um, my whole dad's side, uh, born and raised Botswana in South Africa. Um, they've lived there since oh, the last five six generations. Um, I think they went over there for the mining boom. Uh, when all the mines were going on and they've just ended up living there their whole lives. And still now I've got a lot of family that live there. And then my mum's side is all English and they moved over as well for the mines. And that's how my parents met. And obviously I was born. And then when I was about two, three years old, my parents had to make the decision whether to send me off to boarding school, which is normal there from the age of about six or seven. So they decided to take me to the UK and you know, send me through the, the uh, public private uh, public schools and the uh, primary schools there. So that's how I found a love for football. So since four, I was playing over there, played for local teams, school teams, and then I found out I was half decent and, and got a gig at Leeds United. And that's when I started to take uh, things a little bit more seriously. And then 
when I was 10 years old, for some reason, dad wanted to move to Australia. And we were uh, a bit took back by it because we had zero family in Australia, the only place in the world where we don't really have family. So he, uh, he got caught by the fishing and he loves that side of things. So we, we ended up moving here. And then six years later, again, after, you know, the state tournaments and stuff, I ended up moving back and I went to play for Burnley. Um, so I went back to England on my own. And then three years later, I came back and I was at Glory. So that's my, uh, that's my whole life story in, you know, three, four minutes. Hey, mate, it's a, it's a simple one starting in Botswana. Yeah, it's not like you've moved very far and many different cultures thrown in there at the same time. Hey, just when you moved from England out here, so um, you're, or Australia, when you were at Leeds at the time, so your dad's gone, no, I want to go fishing. See you later. Sorry, Brandon, we're going to move to the other side of the world. Yes, this was, uh, this was a big, big argument me and my dad had. I was at Leeds until I was, yeah, 10, and then I left. <laughs> and I, I remember the day I said to him, Dad, I've just, I've just gotten the Leeds team. I've gone from the shadow squad to the, the, the no, under 11s because I was playing a year up. I was doing really well at my football and he goes, nah, I'm, I'm homesick. I don't like England. I want to go to Australia where the fishing's good. So me and him had a, a nice little tussle up and, uh, you know, but that's how he is. And anyway, I always had the, the goal of coming back to England and Leeds said to me, they'll keep tabs on me, but. Anyway, six years later, I got the opportunity again. So thanks, Dad. See you later. <laughs> and you went to Burnley. Fair enough. I went to Burnley. There we go. <laughs> it usually works the other way, mate. Usually the, the kid owes the dad at the end of the junior career for all the lifts and everything like that. But it sounds like there's a bit of an equilibrium there when, in terms of who owes who what. Yeah, well, there we go. I mean, he definitely is a big supporter of my football and he's probably my biggest critic as well. Um <laughs> Yeah, as all dads are, he'll uh, he'll be the first to tell me how bad I've played, even though I think I've played good. But um, no, he's uh, he definitely owes me. I think definitely owes me. You haven't sat down and watched Leeds play under Bielsa and gone, "Hey, Dad, that could have been me coming through the whole system and playing in this team if you didn't want to go fishing." <laughs> Look, I've said it a few times too. Uh, but at the same time, I think uh, I think everything happens for a reason. I think uh, I'm a big believer in that. So hopefully, one day I can return. It does, it does. So now you're back with your kind of hometown team. I don't know where your hometown team is to be brutally. You could be playing in the Botswana Premier League and I'll call that your hometown team. I could. I definitely could. I definitely could. But uh, no, nah, I think I think Perth, Perth, I'll call my hometown team. I've lived in Perth the longest, so yeah, Perth my hometown now. Had Botswana hit you up to play for them? Um, the last three years, yeah, they've, they've given me a call up. Um, to go and play in an African Cup of Nations qualifier. But um, I think my heart's set with the, uh, the green and gold, to be honest with you, Adzi. I, I really want to um, push and hopefully one day can, you know, represent Australia, which I believe is my, uh, my home country now. So You didn't look into who they're playing and how they get to a World Cup, perhaps? You didn't look into all of that? <laughs> I had a look, but uh, no, I, uh, I think you've got to play for who, you, who your heart's with. And, you know, that's... That's with uh, the green and gold, as I said. So You're doing that last week with the Ollie Roos. Now, obviously, a few things have happened in the last 24 months, but how how's it been for you, that whole period, everything that happened, and being back in Australian colours as well, coming out the other side of it? Yeah, look, that time was quite heartbreaking for me and the other boys, I think. Um, it, was ve- it, was, it was very hard. We, uh, I personally thought that was you know, my, my chance over. Um, but then getting the, the opportunity again, 
last Saturday to play in the green and gold. I don't think words can describe how amazing that felt. I mean, for a year, I was sitting thinking, like, that's it. Um, I have no chance again. You know, I've got to play out my socks to even get a chance, maybe with the Socceroos in a year time. That was that was my thought process. And that was quite slim. And then when the, obviously the coronavirus hit and the Olympics got pushed back, you know, I feel like, as I said before, I feel like everything happens for a reason. And it's sort of like a second chance at life for, for us boys. So we, uh, we can't underestimate that. And we've had that conversation with Arnie. It's just sort of like, a, you know, you, you, we can't mess up again. We, we, we've, given a, we've been given a second chance. We're all very sorry for everything that happened. And we've just got to take it with both arms open and just, you know, work hard, be humble and, you know, show a country, you know, do our country proud and obviously take that second chance with both arms open. Last one on it. What did you learn from the whole period? Um, you've got to be switched on 100% of the time, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. You can't, you can't just represent you, yourself, your family, your country, your club, you know, on the training pitch, and on the game pitch. You have to 100% of the time at home be a professional, and 100% we have learned that. And I'll definitely take that out for the rest of my career. And even after, you know, football, I'll take that for the rest of my life. I've got to be a professional all of the time and in everything in life. So, you know, I've taken that out and I've, I've really learned from it and hopefully I uh, can keep implementing that into my daily life. And it, you look to implement it now with Perth Glory again. You had a, a great coach over there last season with Wellington in Ufitale. And this season you've got a, a guy that, has been there and done it at, on the international stage, played at World Cups, played over in the Premier League, but he's a, a rookie coach, Richard Garcia. So what are, you, what are your early inclinations about what you can take from Richard's style as opposed to, say, a, a Tale or a before him popper? Yeah, I think uh, the, good thing, the good thing with Richie, as, as you've said, he's done it, he's been there, he's been at the highest level. Um, you know, he's obviously played for the Socceroos and he's played in the Premier League, which is where every footballer wants to be. Um, so, and he's also a natural leader. He's, he's captain the club um, and he's been coaching for the last five years. So uh, we all know how Richie likes to play. He likes to play an attractive brand of football, um, but also to keep the defence really tight. Um, it's, it's different in the sense of, you know, even Ufuk was a, a young, you know, early coach but he had his his way of a 4-4-2 keep it tight and you know play on the counter I think Richie's sort of the same but he would play in a, the same as Popper did with the five at the back mm-hmm. but we're very very attacking minded you know we're Sundry in the ball back he wants to play forward get forward and as you've seen him as a player it's the same sort of thing so it worked at the top level so hopefully you know it works for us as well and it helps having an old Spanish bloke back in the midst as well so I've got to be honest when the when the the squad was announced. I went, I looked down at it and I went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had a second look and I went, hang on a minute, Diego Castro. Now, there was all that kerfuffle that went on after coronavirus, him not joining back up with the squad after that. That's done. He's back. So what's it like having him back around? Does it, Even though you weren't at the club, does it feel like he's been away too long? Did he fit just back in? What's the scenario there with Diego back? Yeah, I think uh, I think everyone knows what Diego's like. I think he's probably, questionably, the best player to touch the A-League. So 
he could probably not play for two, three years, come back in, still be unbelievable. We all we all know what Diego's qualities are. He's a leader. Obviously, you know, things that happen, I don't know too much about it, but I think he made the right decision for him and his family. Um, I've always backed him. I think he's a natural leader. Um, me coming back in and him coming back in, I've just noticed, you know, he takes he takes the ball when he, he shouldn't take the ball and he'll keep the ball for you and he'll lead off the pitch, he'll lead on the pitch. He's, he's top. I mean, to have him in the team, along with all the other leaders of the team, you know, you got Rocket and Killer and everyone. But with Diego there, it definitely takes a lot of pressure off you and, you know, you can always look to him to uh, help you out when times get hard. So I've got nothing but good words to say about Diego. Apart from when he nutmegs you in, in Sheva or in training? Oh, mate, I can't, I can't even count the amount of times he's not making me, mate. I think I even got up in the news once. I think it was the news reporters came down one time and uh, he did me so dirty. Oh, the whole, yeah, mate, that guy, he, he gets me. <laughs> oh, well, unless you're not rooming it with him, but, I mean, you mentioned very early on that you're rooming with Nick D'Agostino. So um, I don't know how that experience is going to play out for you in the next two weeks, mate. But, uh, yeah, it sounds interesting. Yeah, wish me luck. He's... Uh, Let's just say he's not the cleanest of blokes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> you said it. Brandon Wilson, thanks so much for joining us, mate. Thanks for the honest chat. Really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck in the next couple of weeks over there in Qatar. Maybe maybe longer. Never know. There we go. Cheers, Azzy. Thanks for having me, mate. Now, next week, as mentioned at the top, we're going to touch base with Victory and see how they're settling in as they embark on their journey, Wilders, Mass and all, later in this week. But now to Arsene Wenger. Big thanks to Football New South Wales who organised Arsene Wenger to be a special guest speaker at the Australian Coaching Conference, which takes place as a virtual event on November 28. Now, to get involved, it's only $60 Aussie per person. Google 2020 Australia Coaching Conference. I could do the link, but it's much, much easier. Just Google 2020 Australian Coaching Conference and follow the links from there. And get involved. It's a magnificent lineup they've got. They've got James Johnson, Craig Johnston, Trevor Morgan, Ron Smith, the FIFA technical department, Mila Yedinak as well, about the transition from player to coach, and two American legends in the women's game, Julie Foudy and Brandy Chastain. Now, I did the chat with Arsene Wenger a few weeks ago, and here is a special sneak peek, or listen, as it were. The build up begins to a magical, magical moment in the history of this great football club. Even time for Martin Keogh to get one final touch of the ball. Make a note of the date. May the 15th, 2004. History has been made. One of the greatest achievements since English football began. Arsenal have gone through an entire league campaign without losing. The first time it's happened for over 100 years. How did you manage success? And I ask that because the easy thing to do when you win a game is to gloss over what you think is a problem. I mean, you had a run there at one point with Arsenal where 49 games in the Premier League, you didn't have a problem, so to speak, because you didn't lose. How, how did you ensure that little bad habits, and they quite obviously didn't because you didn't lose a game for so long, didn't become big problems later? How did you communicate that? Yes, we didn't lose a game for one and a half years. People don't realise what that means, you know, because you're always a, 
the tricky game where you go out, it's windy at Newcastle and mm -hmm. uh, in the middle of November and rainy and uh, the decisions go against you, but you still don't lose, you know. And uh, so that demands, of course, I, I would say by uh, creating a long-term target inside the head of the players and a short-term target. I, I uh, thought, I told them I want to play win a championship without losing a game and they laughed at me but uh, in 2003 it didn't work we didn't win the championship we finished second and the players told me you put too much pressure on, on us because uh, it's impossible to win a championship without losing a game nobody ever did it and i told them i just think you can do it if you really want it you know so uh, somewhere the seeds that you put in the brain take time to become reality but it a long-term target is needed and the short-term target is of course everybody will adjust to what you have done and uh, what how can you improve what we did in the last game and uh, therefore i believe as well i personally tried uh, to go home every after every game and think what have i done wrong today why did was the changes i made during the game right uh, did I pick the right team? Did I not make a mistake here and there, you know? Or at the moment, uh, this guy is not happy and straight away on Monday morning, I have to get him into my office. And uh, so I try to be uh, very critical with myself. And I must say, I had exceptional players. What is exceptional players? I usually, all the people I met in my life who have uh, been consistent and uh, had top quality are people at the very objective assessment of their performance by being a bit harsh with themselves, you know. And I had uh, players who refused to be average. That uh, the game hasn't changed, is the space available to play that has changed, you know. Uh, today the game is much more compact and the time available to control the ball, to uh, make decisions is much shorter than it was before. But on the other hand, uh, uh, the basic rules have not changed. That means uh, you have to score goals and not to concede goals. But the way it is done today has a little bit changed. And overall, I must say, in the last 10 years, we have gone a little bit NBA basketball, you know. It's more individual, more power, more speed, more explosivity. And uh, but a little bit less, all the people who are a bit more creative and being kicked out of a game, basically. Would you say that it's going to turn back, or are we on this endless pursuit of getting better physically and trying to make it quicker and quicker and quicker somehow? No, I would say we get to the end of what you can get physically. You know, it's like uh, when you're on a hundred meter in 9.9 uh, seconds, uh, you can improve hundreds of seconds, but we are a little bit there now, I think, physically. And uh, uh, football's evolution is always like that, you know, you go a certain way after you realize that uh, the defenders find a solution against you and the evolution is to find a new problem for the defenders and the defenders respond again. So this reciprocity in the answers to a problem posed uh, creates the evolution. Are you still watching football religiously every day? Or do you have days off now that you don't watch football? 
I don't have uh, days where I don't watch football. When I wake up in the morning and I know where I came at night, it's not the same day for me. You know, it is, uh, it is like somebody like to go to disco, I like to watch football. <laughs> so you can't remember the last day that you had without watching one, uh, some form of football? No. Wow. Uh, even when I uh, was manager, I watched football the, the whole way night. But no better weekend than us playing first, winning the game and watching the rest of the weekend all football. Is that what you'd do? You'd, you'd leave Highbury or the Emirates, say, if you're playing at home, and it was the 12.30 Saturday game. You'd get home as soon as you can after having to deal with the pesky press and all of that, and then for the rest of the weekend, you'd want to watch football on the couch. Exactly. That's what, that was my life. I'm sometimes a bit ashamed to say that, but it's, it, it, honestly, it's true. How do, you, how do you watch football then? Do you watch it like the, the normal person watches it in terms of looking for players and techniques, but, or do you watch it from a different standpoint, given your experience? I watch it sometimes like a normal spectator, just to enjoy it, you know, when it becomes passionate, uh, uncertain. And sometimes I dedicate time to, let's see how many good passes they make on the trot, you know. Hmm. Uh, and I watch it more from a tactical point of view, how compact are they, what is that problem, the manager should change now, why does he not change, uh, like uh, people did for me, you know, uh, <laughs> things like that. No, they never did that to you. No one can remember those. <laughs> it's normal that you do that because it's a part of a game as well. So there's just part of a fascinating chat with one of the great modern football minds. We talk more about the Invincibles and really delve into his philosophy of coaching, how he develops a footballer, how football has developed recently, plus there's a really cool story about how recently he was riding around his local park and he could not help but jump off the bike and take over a training session of a local side. How cool that be? And also he touches on his new role with FIFA, and how he hopes to introduce a research department into developing footballers. The chat goes for an hour. I was fascinated. Hope you enjoy it too. If you get involved in the Australian Coaching Conference and to get involved, again, Google 2020 Australian Coaching Conference. That's thanks to Football New South Wales and follow the links. A whole day's worth of extraordinary football knowledge for just $60 or there is a rate for a whole club package. That's it for the Fox Football Podcast this week. Don't forget those games. Check your guides about when they're on Wednesday, Thursday night as Sydney and Perth Glory get going in the Champions League and also Melbourne Victory next week. Until then, enjoy your football.